Well, church, we've been driving home two main truths throughout this series, our authority issue series, and this is the last week we're going to be hitting on this. Now, the first truth is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. It's this truth that God is sovereign. We're talking about this each and every week, that God is sovereign, that he is the one who created all, who sustains all. Nothing happens without God's knowledge. Think about that for a moment. That means that God is never taken by surprise. So, oh, I didn't see that coming. That doesn't happen. God knows all, sustains all, is aware of all. When we truly begin to let this just this truth affect our lives, it becomes uh, both comforting and it can even become terrifying. As we realize the power that our God has and that He holds in His hand, that He merely speaks and things are created. That the words of God are what define what is true. Because he's the ultimate authority. And all other authority is in essence on loan, is issued by God the Father. And so we've been talking about the different arenas in life. We looked at how uh, parents have authority over their children. And really that's why we have that authority for no other reason. But it's been given to us by God to have authority over our children. We talk about husbands are given the authority to lead through service of their wives, through serving their wives and their families. We talked about in the church how pastors, elders, and deacons, and other leaders have the authority to lead in the church. We also looked at how brothers and sisters in Christ, we have authority in each other's lives, that we're to submit to one another, that we should open up our lives to other brothers and sisters in Christ and and be willing to hear a hard word, but a loving word. If there's an area in our life where we've gone astray. We've learned about how uh, uh, last week, we're going to be subject to our bosses, or if you're in school, to our teachers, for the Lord's sake. And we're going to kind of continue on in that vein. Uh, Romans 13.1 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Again, this is both a comforting and a terrifying thought when we think about the true sovereignty of God, that He has established all governing authorities and that we're called to be subject to them. When we stop and think about some of the, the, the governing authorities that we're aware of, we begin to uh, very quickly probably think of some of their faults and some of their shortcomings, and we begin to wonder how can God have allowed these governments to hold the place they, they do. But we see pretty straightforward, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And if God's the one who's established these, that means that ultimately any authority issue we have with our government is truly an authority issue that we have with God, right? Because God is sovereign. So that's point one we've been driving home, that God is sovereign. The other truth that we've been driving home is that you, like me, like the guy next to you, like that person over there that you're seeing across from, the, from across the room, we all have issues. We all have authority issues. If somebody didn't get it, you can turn and let them know. Start with yourself, say, hey, just so you know, it's okay, I have issues. Go ahead, you can turn and tell your neighbor that and tell them, hey, if you're not willing to accept it, you have issues. This is the last week we're going to do this, so get it out of your system. If there's someone they've been wanting to tell this to, get up and go sit next to them, introduce yourself, and let them know that you have issues. Hopefully, hopefully you can say something along the lines of, I have issues, but maybe a few less than I did before. Maybe we've been able to kind of work through some of these issues and surrender ourselves to God. Because truly, as we've talked through each of these, we've seen how God has established different authorities in our life. 
As we've been working through these various arenas in our life, today we're looking at the arena of our community. Uh, specifically, we're looking at what are the authority issues that we have with our government? And how do we deal with those? I know some of you just thought, oh, so we're going to talk about religion and politics all on the same Sunday. Awesome. I'm so glad I'm here. If you're a visitor, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we really are. Uh, Meadowland is a safe place to ask questions. It's a safe place to talk about religion and politics. So we're not quite going down that road. Um, but just we're, we're glad you're here. It truly is a safe place to ask those questions. And we encourage you to do just that. Even if you don't believe what we believe, um, you're, you're welcome in this place. So do you have any authority issues with the government? So who are we talking about? There's federal, there's state, there's local. Yes, we're talking about all of it. Do you have any authority issues with the government that God has placed over you? Do you have any issues obeying any of the laws of this land? Are there any laws that this government has, again, on any level, that you would disagree with? That you would say is against your moral beliefs? That you go as far as to say this is against the word of God. What are your thoughts on taxes? I'm going, oh, I'm going there. What, what's your heart on paying them? Okay, so I, these are a little outdated numbers, but they're still, you know, reveal something here for us. So based on 2007 census numbers, out of 788 counties across the nation, where do you think McHenry County rates when it comes to the percentage of income that, you know, the average percentage of income that that's goes to property taxes? So as far as, you know, if number one's the highest, who pays the highest percentage of their income to property taxes, where do you think McHenry County falls out of 788 counties? Throw, throw a number out there. Whoa, wow, first or 10. Well, it may have changed. But again, this is based off of 2007. Based off of 2007, we're at 26. So we're, we're right up there. We're pretty much right up there. And for those of you who are in Fox Lake, say, hey, I'm in Lake County, suckers. Don't worry. Lake County's number 17. Again, in 2007, so this may have changed. But the fact of the matter is, is that, that there's a, you know, a significant portion of income that goes. That's just property taxes. There's other taxes that, that we pay as well. What, what's your attitude towards our current president? <laughs> What's your attitude no towards our current or former governors of our state? What is your heart towards the mayors uh, and, and the village presidents that we sit under, to the politicians who represent us, to even the, the lawyers and judges and police who enforce the law of our land? Ch chances are, I can keep going, but I'll stop. Chances are I've probably hit a tender spot already. Because I think we all have authority issues, especially when it comes to our government, especially when we see things that our government is doing that we'd say, but this doesn't honor God, but that's not right. What, what do we do with that kind of stuff? Well, some people would say, myself not being one of them, but some people would say that as Christians, we don't have to obey the law of the land, that we don't have to obey uh, the government of any kind because, see, we, we are a people of God. You go back in the Old Testament and see uh, before there were kings over the people of God, over Israel, they were a theocracy. 
God was their God. He was their king. And there'd be a prophet who would speak to the people on behalf of God. That's, that'd be God's uh, uh, voice into his nation. And they got to a point where they said, hey, all these nations around us have a king. We'd like a king, God. And he said, no, you don't want a king. No, no, you didn't hear us. We really do want a king. And he said, no, you don't want a king. And they, they continued to press the issue. And, and finally, okay. I'll give you what you're asking for, but trust me, you don't want this. He's going to send your sons off to war and he's going to tax you and all that. You get through two generations of a king before the whole thing just falls apart. And there's civil war. There's, I mean, take a Jerry Springer episode and just put that into that whole line. I mean, it's just a mess. It's a mess. And so some people would say, well, we used to be a theocracy and that's what we're still supposed to be is a, a, a people under God. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're referred to as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter will go on to say that we're sojourners, we're aliens in this land, we're citizens of heaven. And some would, would wrongly interpret that to be, okay, so that means we don't need to follow the laws of this land. But we do. So the question we ask ourselves is, how do I live as a follower of Jesus in light of the current ruling government? Whichever government that is. In the government that I'm under, how do I live as a follower of Jesus? And people have been asking this question for a long time. That's part of the reason why Peter is addressing this question in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. 1 Peter 2 is where we're going to be here for the rest of our time this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 13. It'll be on the screen as well. If you want to go digital, turn on your Bible. We definitely encourage that too. Any way to get the Word of God in front of you. 1 Peter 2.13. And this comes after Peter has just uh, talked about how we are a holy nation. He's talked about how, how we're citizens of heaven. And now he gets to this point here in 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's pretty straightforward stuff, right? Peter doesn't beat around the bush. He's getting right to it. Be subject to every human institution, he says. If we build off of uh, Romans 13, or the verse I began in this morning, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, and he says something very similarly. You can keep your thumb at 1 Peter 2, we'll come back to that, but Romans 13, 1 and 2, and then jumping to verse 7, tell us this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Sounds familiar. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue, revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So based off of these passages, how are we to live under the current ruling government? Well, a straightforward answer that both Paul and Peter are, are, are unified in, they're giving us, is subject yourself to your government, pay your taxes. All right, let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, a little more than that. We'll, we'll unpack that. But we need to begin there. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty, the, the, you know, there's no hidden mystery in here. They're saying, subject yourselves to the ruling bodies. Well, hang on, Steve. Our government's a mess. 
Our government's not pursuing God. Surely what they really meant to say here when they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these is follow the governments that follow God. But they don't. They say subject yourselves to every human institution. Subject to the governing authorities. So any form of government, you know, what if we were a monarchy? Would they still say the same thing? What if we were under a dictatorship? Would they still say the same thing? Yeah. Subject ourselves to the governing authorities. We need to realize that when both Peter and Paul, Peter wrote Peter and then Paul wrote Romans, when they wrote this, they were under the authority of the Romans. That They weren't in one sense a free people at that time. The Jewish people would have been under the rule of the Roman Empire. And we talk about opposition in our, in our day and age. They would have lived at a time of severe opposition. From 58 AD, I'm sorry, 54 to 68 AD, Nero was the emperor of Rome, and he was known for inflicting torture and persecution upon the Christians. People were, were losing their lives because they claimed Christ was the Messiah. Growing up Jewish in that culture, you would have known that you don't have the authority to rule yourself. Yes, they had their laws and all that, but if they wanted to see anything carried out, they had to go to the Romans and say, hey, here's what we've done. We want you to, to, to back this up. That's why you see when Jesus uh, in the steps to the cross is brought before all these different councils, that's what they're doing. They're bringing him before the Jewish council and saying, all right, he's a blasphemer. We need to crucify him. But they don't have the power the authority to carry that out. So they go to, to the Roman courts. Okay, hey, here's this guy. Here's his charge. And that's where they send him back, saying we find nothing wrong with him. But they keep on pressing the issue until finally he ends up on the cross. They would have known this process where a Roman soldier could have gone up to you and said, um, you're going to carry my bags and you're going to walk with me. Even if it was the exact opposite direction. If you're familiar with the, the story about, you know, if someone asked you to walk a mile, walk two. That would have really hit home for the, the audience that heard that because that was a process where, hey, you could have been late for your own wedding going one way. And if, if a Roman soldier said, hey, carry my gear a mile the other direction, you would have to go. So here's Jesus saying, go two miles. But so anyway, they, they live in a time where there is oppression and persecution. And within this context, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, both Paul and Peter write that we're, we're to be subject to the governing authorities, to every human institution. See, in our immediate culture, in the U.S., for the majority of us, we're not facing this level of conflict with a government. Yes, there are people worldwide, and obviously there are people in this nation whose lives are at stake because of what they believe. Because they've uh, professed faith in Christ. And yes, that is happening today. And yes, we need to pray for those who are persecuted for their faith. But in our daily context, in our cultures, we're not facing this level of opposition. So if they can, under that level of opposition, say, hey, here's how we're to live, that should kind of perk up our ears a little bit and say, okay, maybe we can do this too. Maybe there's something to this. There's still many challenges and conflicts, I'll, I'll agree, within our own government. If I can just hit on some real quick here. We, we live under, an, a, under a government that says it's legal to murder our most defenseless humans. Where abortion has been legal in, in our nation for decades. This stands in direct opposition to a biblical worldview. This is, this is a topic where as a church, as followers of Christ, we need to have courage, but we also need to be loving. 
We need to have the courage to call it what it is, sin. That it is murder. It's the taking of a life. But we also need to be loving. We need to acknowledge that there are situations in our society where people feel like that is their only option. We need to do the hard work of letting people know there are other options. That there's a ministry here in McHenry County called First Way Pregnancy Center. And I absolutely, we've talked about them before. I absolutely love their heart. They want to take the, the, the issue of a crisis pregnancy and they want to take the crisis out of it so that you don't feel the need to take the pregnancy out of it. And they walk along, ladies who, are, who find themselves in, in those moments of, of a crisis pregnancy. This is something else in this generosity series that we're going to try to do is, is walk alongside First Way and serve them in some way, in some capacity. They're on the front lines of this, of this issue. Also, like I said, we need to approach this topic with a loving heart. And so if you know someone who, who has walked this road, if you yourself have walked this road, know that there is a loving and forgiving God who offers forgiveness. There is life beyond that. There is a, a redemption to your story. So let us be a people whose hearts break for not only those whose lives are taken, but those who feel that that is their only option. Let us be a people who are... Um, engaged in that again this is something that our government says uh is legal let's be involved in showing people hey there's, there's other options but you can understand how there'd be some conflict or some challenges with our government on that one according to the supreme court of the united states they say that gay marriage is now the law of the land when again we see this stands against a, a, a biblical worldview we said God designed marriage uh, between one man and one woman. We, we've talked about this here before, but anytime we bring this up, we need to remind ourselves that we must treat each other with genuine love and graciousness, period. So if there's someone who thinks differently than you or lives differently than you, treat them with a genuine love of God and, and a graciousness. As the church, we should welcome all people into the church. But we also need to stand on truth and say, yes, th this stands opposed to what God has designed. The topic of immigration is a sticky one. The law says one thing. Those who are charged with the, with the job to enforce it many times are left feeling like they must do another. Well, what does it look like to subject ourselves to the government in any aspect? How do we engage with someone with this topic of immigration? If you're in a relationship with someone who's here in this country legally, what would your advice be to them as a follower of Christ? These are not easy topics, my friends. And if I've painted them in that light, I apologize. In no way am I trying to say that. These are challenging topics that we must wrestle with. We also must remember we're talking about people who are loved by God. And so I walk through these, just these three topics here just to make the point that, yes, there are still many challenges and conflicting interests when it comes to subjecting ourselves to our government. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to do a ride-along uh, with a police officer in Addison. Um, just a great man. Like, uh, just was, it was a pleasure to meet him. Very professional, very loving towards the community that he worked in. And uh, we, we did the graveyard shift. It was probably about uh, midnight, 1 o'clock at night, and we're just driving along. All of a sudden, he sees someone who, who's clearly speeding and pulls them over. Now, I'm sitting in the, in the squad car. He gets out, and, and very quickly, kind of, comes back to the car, and, and, and the person drives on their way. And um, for no reason, I don't want to explain why, but I have enough experience to know that usually getting tickets don't go that fast. Um, 
so I kind of asked him what, what that was all about. Well, it, it was very clear to him, it was very evident that the, the lady he'd pulled over was, was an illegal immigrant. She had no, no license, no ID, and, but had lived just down the street where there was uh, some low-income housing. That, you know, kind of fit the, the prof- profile in that sense. And, and, and um, so it's like, I'm like, okay, so what, what do you do in those cases? It's like nothing. There's, there's nothing that I can do. If, I, if we were to arrest her for that and then hold her in the jail cell and wait for authorities to come and pick her up, they're, not gonna, they're just going to release her. And so it's, there, there was this, this struggle of how do we enforce these laws that we're charged to enforce if other parties aren't doing that as well. And um, in the midst of all this, human beings, people are, are getting lost in the fray. And so I, I know the answers aren't easy. And I think that's kind of the only point I'm trying to make at this stage in the sermon is that there are challenging things going on in our government. So when we hear this straightforward, simple answer of subject ourselves to the governing authorities, yes, that's a straightforward place to start. But okay, so what does that look like? How, how do we deal with these issues that, that, that our world is dealing with? How do we love our neighbor when they believe differently than us? How do we love a politician who, who puts policies in place that are different than our worldview? A couple of things that we can see from what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter 2. The first is this. We can live in the reality that God is the ultimate authority. Plain and simple. Let us live in that reality. That God is the ultimate authority. What does that look like? Verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. It is for his sake, for the Lord's sake, that we obey the government. Verse 15. It is the will of God. For this is the will of God that we obey the government. We need to acknowledge that God has called us to this point for his sake, for the Lord's sake, because it's his will that we should follow our government. We are not God. We don't know fully why he calls us to this, but we get a little glimpse of it in 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So one reason why we see God calls us to this is so that we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, at the time that Peter was writing this, it was very common that people would accuse Christians of doing things they hadn't done, trying to get them in trouble. It's part of the persecution that was going on of Christians at that time, and they would accuse them of doing things against the government because that would get the government's attention and then go in and intervene, and, and, and you know, there'd be a punishment or even execution. Uh, but So they would cast a false accusation. In essence, what God's saying here is the best defense to a false accusation is a life of integrity. If you're following the law and they accuse you against it, your life will show for what it is. And they'll see that, hey, this doesn't hold water. You will put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. Church, the best way to stand up to the accusations of the enemy is to live a life of integrity. Remember we talked about this a little bit uh, last week. The integrity is being the same in private as you are in public. I just want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you to stand strong when the cost is small and insignificant. Hear me on that. Stand strong on integrity when the cost is small and insignificant. We have an extended warranty plan on our our cell phones, my wife and I, um, mainly because we have three kids. Um, And... uh, and so my wife's phone has been starting to freak out a little bit. It's an older phone. And um, so, okay, well, let's, let's go in and see what they could do. And so I'm talking to the guy, and he's looking at it, and he's like, you know, asking some of the standard questions, and he's checking it out. He's like, I don't see any damage on the outside. This is one that they'll take back. You have the warranty plan. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call customer service. 
I'm going to tell them we've been working on this for the past hour. We've tried many things. We've tried multiple chargers, multiple computers, and it's still not working. What that's going to do is that's going to bypass us through the, taking a whole hour of sitting here trying to troubleshoot this phone that we both know is already broken, and then you know, they'll just you know, fast track you to then sending you a new phone to replace it. Are you okay with that? I mean, even use the term, we'll have to put, do a few white lies, but this is why we're doing that. It, it, instantly, I mean, these things hit you out of the blue. Okay, here's someone asking me, to sacrifice my integrity to save an hour. It wasn't just my time. It was his time as well, and I acknowledge that. And, and, and for a split second, it's like, that would be really just to get this done with. It's tempting. It's, it, well, what's it matter? You know, it, we know the phone's broken. We've been, you know, kind of dragging our feet on this. It's been months and months of, you know, basically in the middle of a call, it tries to FaceTime. It's just weird, and um, we know it's broken. But is it worth my, my integrity? And so, by the grace of God, you know, I, I stood strong. I said, you know what, if it's something I can do at home, you know, if they'll walk me through it, you know, just give me a number and I'll call it, but I don't have to waste your time. And um, So, just a small little example, but let us stand strong in the small, insignificant ways when it comes to our integrity, because that will prepare us for those moments where there's a large cost at, on, on the hand. It's one thing, okay, just save it an hour here or there. You said it doesn't cost us much. There's another time where, Oh, this, is, this is before all that. Um, but if you know anything about taxes and how they work, um, pastoral taxes just get funky. I mean, they're, really, they're just kind of all messed up. And um, I, honestly, it was probably about four or five years as a pastor before I actually met someone who understood them correctly and could actually show me, here's what you need to do, um, which unfortunately revealed I've been doing it wrong for all, all those years up until that point. And one of the ways I figured this out is I'd use kind of those, like one of those TurboTax programs. You can do your own taxes and put in the information and you answer all these questions and it spits out a number. And what I like about that program is it has a running tally in the top right corner. If any of you have used that, you know what I'm talking about. Whereas you put in different write-offs or whatnot, it goes up, you, know, you get a bigger rebate and it's just kind of fun. You know, it's kind of like the opposite when you're at the grocery store watching that number go up as everything gets checked out. And so this number is going up, it's going up, and it was actually probably one of the larger tax returns that we would have had. It was getting into the thousands. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know, we get a lot of our funds back. And then it got this one section, this one line of questions that kind of caught my eye. I'm like, oh wait, this is what so-and-so is talking about, this is the right way to file my taxes as a pastor. And I had to check this one box. And I check the box and I keep on going. And all of a sudden I stop and I realize the number is still about the same, still about the thousands, you know, and it's still kind of about the same number, but there's this funky odd sign that was put at the front of it. This dash that, I mean, the color changed too, and, and I wasn't, I think I know what that means, but I don't want to believe what that means. I mean, one little box, a little check mark in that box, and we went from receiving thousands to owing thousands. It was almost exact amount, but flipped on, on the other side. Man, that, that, was a, that would have been a costly, a costly test of my integrity right there. It would have been so easy just to oh, unclick the box. And I'll be honest with you. I, you can go back through the system. I went back and I unchecked the box just to see the difference. I'm like, no, okay, check it again. Ooh. I, oh, uncheck it. Okay, that looks good. Oh, no, but I, I need to check it because this is the truth. This is what, what's honest. And the only reason beyond the, the grace of God working in my life, uh, I was able to do that. Is, is we, if we look at the, the small steps of integrity, if we stand strong in those, those will empower us to stand strong when the cost is, is significant. So let us be a people who are the same in private as we are 
in public. And I, I know that's a work in progress. If, if you've already failed in that area, there's areas that I failed in that. Uh, uh, today, begin today anew. Seek forgiveness where, where it's needed. Uh, as Christians, we're not perfect. We're forgiven. And, and so when we do fail, if you want to show integrity in your failure, repent, seek forgiveness, and then stand on, on what's right going forward. So let us live in the reality that God is the ultimate authority. Let us live in the reality that we are free in Jesus. Peter goes talking about God as the ultimate authority. Then he goes talking about how we are free in Jesus. 1 Peter 2.16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In Jesus, when we trust in him, we say, Jesus, I believe you are, are God. I believe that you uh, laid down your life on the cross as a payment for my sin, for my mistakes, the ways I've gone against the will of God. If you're familiar with, with uh, the Old Testament at all, you had uh, the people of God who, when they sinned against God, when they went against him, they would offer a sacrifice. Blood would, would be shed, and that would pay the price for that sin. But that was never a sufficient answer. And so, ultimately, God provides Jesus, who, who would be a sufficient sacrifice. So when we trust in him, it's that I believe you're God. I, I believe that you are perfect. That, that when you laid your life down on the cross, it's an atoning sacrifice. It pays the price for my sin. So that when God looks at me, he sees perfection. He sees a forgiven child of God. So when we trust in Jesus, we are free from the weight of our sin. So as we go back and, and think on some of those issues that we brought up in our culture, if there's areas of those where, where you sinned, we are free in Jesus from the weight of sin. And sometimes we're the ones that don't let ourselves remember that. We're the ones that don't let ourselves believe that. If you've confessed your sin before God, you are free from the weight of that sin. We are also free from the law. Well, Steve, hang on a second. You just said we have to follow. Just, just stick with me. Stick with me. We're free from the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. Speaking about, uh, in one sense, the, the, the Old Testament law, you, you had something that was going on where after Jesus came, you had some Jews who, who accepted Jesus, you had some Gentiles, which means non-Jew, who accepted Jesus, and, and they're all getting together, praising God for who he is and, and the work that Jesus did on the cross. And then after that, they're going to have a celebration. But there's some catering issues. There are some catering issues. There are some of the Gentiles that want to go down to Johnny's Barbecue down the street and, and, and pulled pork and that... Johnny's Barbecue is the best place ever to get the pulled pork. And, and so let's just celebrate Jesus with a big old plate of pulled pork. And all of a sudden you have a bunch of Jews there like, oh, should we tell them? We, we should tell them. So, someone's got to tell them. We, we don't eat pork. Oh, oh, you don't eat pork? No, we, we don't eat pork. They were trying to take the, their Jewish law and, and apply it to all who, who trusted in Jesus. And, and there's this big battle back and forth of what can we eat, what can't we eat, what is clean, what is unclean. And Jesus leveled the playing field there. We're going to dig into 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10, that we are free in Jesus to eat whatever. But again, he says, Peter says, not as a cover-up for evil. So it's not this heart of, I can do whatever I want now, right? Because I'm free in Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, that we're free to live as a servant. Be, be, church, this is... This is going to sound so anti-American, and that's okay because we're followers of Christ before we're Americans. But be willing to lay down your rights for the sake of the gospel. Can we be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel? 
me give you some small examples. We'll go back to this, this food issue. If you have a friend of yours, maybe you're at a wedding. For some of you who maybe, you know, we all have different views on alcohol, and alcohol has a different role in our life, but weddings are, are typically, not always, but typically a place where alcohol is present. And maybe you're sitting next to a friend of yours who you know is a recovering alcoholic. And you think to yourself, you, know, you didn't think about that first, you, you're talking to your, your, your date, you're like, hey, you know what, be a great place, you know, uh, um, we got a hotel for the night, we can have some drinks, we don't have to worry about it, it's just, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Then all of a sudden you go and you find that you're sit, sitting next to this friend of yours who's a recovered alcoholic. Are you going to sit there and, and take your drinks, or are you going to say, hey, for the sake of my friend, I don't want to cause them to stumble. So am I free to have a drink? Sure. But does that mean it's helpful? Does that mean it's useful? No, and so I'm willing to lay down my right to a drink for the sake of my friend. Again, maybe there's a Jewish family in your life who, who are practicing Jews and, and they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and they, you, know, you invite them over for dinner because you want to build relationship with them and you want to be able to speak truth into their life and you want to get to know them and, and see their heart and share the gospel with them. Do not order pork <laughs> because they're going to walk in and, and like, do they even care? Do they even care about me? So is it okay to have a barbecue sandwich? Yes, we are free in Jesus. Thank God. But is it helpful to invite our Jewish friends over and sit down with a pig roast? No. So let's be willing to lay down our rights. We actually see this a couple times where Paul, not only was he Jewish, but he was a Roman citizen. But he didn't flaunt that like, hey, here are all my rights as a Roman citizen. There were times where Paul would be imprisoned. And if he would reveal the truth of the fact that he was a Roman citizen, they had more rights than, than the average person um, in, in any area that was, was uh, under Roman rule. And so he could have almost pulled out his get-out-of-jail-free card. But he didn't always do that. There were times, and the times he did, it was when it was for the sake of the gospel. Because he was willing to go to jail and share the gospel there. He was willing to stand before leaders and rulers and, and share the gospel there. But there were also times where to pull that, that Roman citizen card, it then gave him uh, an opportunity to share the gospel with more people. And so Paul was willing to lay down his rights as a Roman citizen for the sake of the gospel. We live in a culture that's all about, I have the right to this, I have the right to that. Man, I, I fear we become a culture that says, I have a right not to be offended, and that's just not true. But... Uh, let us be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. Let us live as if God is sovereign. And let us live as we are free to serve others. And also we can see, let's live in right relationship to others, to, to others, brothers, God, and king. Others, brothers, God, and king. 1 Peter 2.17. If you want to memorize some scripture, you can start right here. Quick, easy one. Four quick statements. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You probably memorize it before we even dismiss you. Just, you know, get some on the, on, under your belt, you know. Or Jesus wept, that's another fun one. Um, live in right relationship to others, to brothers, to God and king. We, we kind of see a sort of progression that's taking place here. Peter's talking about, okay, so everyone across the board, that includes our, our, our government leaders, policymakers, enforcers. Honor everyone. This means all people. Again, the extent at which that, that plays itself out may, may vary, but we should show each other honor. We can ask this question, I'm going to ask this of myself. Are my actions, are my words, are my jokes, 
Are my Facebook postings, are these honorable to others in this world, in my culture? We're called to love the brotherhood. This is referring to brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to relate to each other in the church differently than we would relate to the rest of the world. Why? Because we're family. I'm sorry, that might be one of the hardest truths you hear this morning, but we're family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are family. There are things I will do for my sister that I won't do for others because she's family. Even when I don't like her sometimes, I'll still do those things for her because she's family. You can't pick on her. That's my sister. I can pick on her. I'm her brother. You know, but with this, this, a different relationship. And we are family in Christ, and so we should love one another and have a greater relationship. Fear God, he says. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. There's only one God, and he is the only one appropriate for us to fear. We've talked about this before in a past series. Um, it's not the kind of fear and dread where we're, we're afraid that he's going to kill us, but it's an acknowledgement of his power. And because of who God is, we have no need to fear man, whether they be rulers or kings or anything else. But then finally, Paul, or Peter throws on this last little bit, honor the emperor, honor the king, honor the president. Honor the rulers that are over you. One of the ways I think we can do this, this is a, something that I, I came across the other day, is just a good reminder. that it, See, we live in a democracy. We, we live in a, in, a, in a government setup where we have a voice, where we're able to be involved, to be agents of change. We're not under a monarchy or a dictatorship. So there's opportunities we have to speak up for change. Let us be a people who honor others, who love the brotherhood, who fear God, who honor the emperor, the person in, in leadership by attacking the policies and the ideas and not the person. Let us attack the policy and ideas and not the person. Because we are called to honor one another. One last question I want to throw out there before we wrap up. You might be thinking about, okay, Steve, so we haven't really addressed the elephant in the room. How do we subject ourselves to these, these authorities who aren't pursuing God? Is it ever okay to have biblical, civil disobedience? That just sounds cool to say. Civil, biblical, civil disobedience. Is it ever okay? Is that ever okay? At times, yes. Yes, it is. And we see that one example of that in Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, this is the, the basically you have... Um, that the council of the high priests uh, are bringing some of the apostles before them, in essence, to stand trial. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in, his, in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Hey, we've been here before, guys. We've brought you in and we said, Stop talking about Jesus. Okay? Stop. And then we let you go. And here you are back again. And you know what the charge is? You've been talking about Jesus. You've been filling all Jerusalem with the teachings on Jesus. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Whether those were their actual claims that they were making, I wonder if that's more their own guilt speaking as they realize that they were the ones who put Jesus to the cross. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. So when there are cases where our government is calling us to go against the word of God, not simply laying down our rights, but go against the word of God, 
then by all means, yes, I will encourage civil disobedience in those cases. If our government were to say it is illegal to share the gospel, I'm sorry, I am now a criminal. And I will not back down from that. Let us stand on God's word. And if we're going to do that, God calls us to be subject to our governing authorities. So we can, we can refuse to violate God's laws. I'm sorry, we can refuse to, to um, follow laws that, that violate God's laws and commands. We can resist against a government that would command evil, but we should work through nonviolent means within the law to, to bring about change. We even see sometimes where the apostles would receive a punishment for their actions. And they would receive it with joy. Not in the sense of, oh great, this feels awesome. But in the sense of, hey, if this is how this government's set up, then, then if this is the punishment for sharing the gospel, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll have to receive it. Because I'm not going to stop sharing the gospel. Let me leave you with this. Change begins in the heart. So we live in a democracy. We live in a culture that, that we can be agents of change. Um, I'm not trying to hit on a hot topic. I'm just trying to make a, a simple point in this heart of change. Every time there is another shooting in, in one of our schools or one of our colleges, the gun debate just lights up again. And I'll be honest, I'm not, this is just for the sake of this conversation, I don't really care where you stand if you are pro-guns or anti-guns. That, that's not the point. And I get so frustrated when I see this, this discussion fire back up because the focus is on the wrong thing. And you can throw stats at me. You can throw, well, this country is this way, that country is that way, this town's this way, that town's that way, and look how it's played out. It's like saying, I parked my car in the garage today and it didn't rain. It must be connected. Then I left it out in the garage and it did rain, so I'm going to keep parking the car in the garage so it doesn't rain on it. There's more going on. There's other ways to inflict harm in our culture. There's other ways to take a life. And so when things like this happen, instead of looking to our government to say, okay, what are the policies you need to change? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yes, there's ways that we can, we can better this world and our society by pursuing change in our government as long as first and foremost we acknowledge that change needs to happen here. First needs to be a change of the heart. And I'm sorry, I can't change a heart. I can't. I can be faithful to the things God's called me to say or do or, or, or live out in someone's life, but I cannot change your heart. I cannot change my neighbor's heart. That's God's gig. So church, let's not usurp the role of God and try to be the ones who are changing hearts. Let's be the faithful ones who are living out the commands of God and entrust that he will do a work in our neighbor's life, in our, in our, in our friend's life, in our community's life. Because as individuals change, so will communities. So when, when, when tragedies like that happen, let's remember that, that a life well lived is more pow powerful than good policy. Let's have conversations uh, about our communities and about what brings about this cause, what, what is the cause of this desperation that people find themselves in where they're willing to take the lives of many. Let's be ones who are, are willing to proclaim the goodness of God and to show others, hey, God has changed my heart. I pray he would do the same for you. A lot of times at the end of a message, we'll pray for one another, Meadowland. And today I want to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we're going to close in praying for our leaders, praying for our, our politicians, our judges, our, our police, our lawyers, our policymakers, our governors, our mayors, our president. Will you join me in a word of prayer?